Great. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody. And I appreciate the, the music team. Got the choir up there today. That's kind of cool, huh? New, little different uh, feel to it. You guys missed it at the 9 o'clock. Uh, Logan's string broke. Um, I, I'm walking in, and he's got a mic in his hand. I'm like, what happened to the guitar? Um, but they got that restrung, and so you guys didn't get the privilege of seeing him with a mic just singing up there. I uh, did pretty good. Anyways, well, if you knew you're, I'm starting out with kind of a, you know, somber question for you this morning, but get you thinking a little bit. If you knew that in the next several weeks or several months, several months, that you would, you would die, how would you do life differently? Uh, Tim McGraw, a country singer you might be familiar with, wrote a song a number of years ago called, called Live Like You Were Dying. And in the song, it's about a 40-year-old guy who is dying of cancer. And in there, he has some, of the, some lines that I'll, I'll read for you. Uh, it says, I went skydiving, I went Rocky Mountain climbing, I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. I could, okay, I can't help it. And I loved deeper, and I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness I've been denying. I was finally the husband that most of the time I wasn't. I became a friend a friend would like to have. And all of a sudden, going fishing wasn't such an imposition. And I went three times that year. My lo- I lost my dad. Well, I finally, I finally read the good book. And I took a good, long, hard look at what I'd do if I could do it all again. Now, I'm not sure about the skydiving. I probably wouldn't do that. Um, I certainly wouldn't ride a bull named Fu Manchu, or any bull for that matter. Um, But I think we can all agree that the other relational things that he talks about there, that we kind of identify with that, that we would say, yeah, I think we would probably want to do better, to be better in our relationships, that our life isn't necessarily where we think it should be or um, how we want it to be. But here's an interesting point or fact that if you're here this morning, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are already dead. How's that for a way to start a message off? No, you are, you are already dead to your life, and that should change how you live this life. Go ahead and turn to Colossians Chapter 3 is page 1180, uh, if you're using the Bible there in the chairs. And Paul uh, reminds us about this death, this death of self, and how it then impacts the life we live today. Paul's transitioning from chapters 1 and 2 into chapters 3 and 4. He does this often in his letters. He starts out with doctrine and theology, and he's been telling us about who Jesus is, uh, what Jesus has done for us, the fact that uh, we are to recognize the fact that Jesus is in fact God, that He is also our Savior, the one who saved us from our sin and the eternal consequences of our sin, the control sin has in our lives today, and that He's the Lord of our life. The fact that He is the one who owns us in that sense. He is the one who is to tell us how to do life. And then in Chapters 3 and 4 is how does that play out in our lives? What, what difference does that make in our lives? Today we're going to do kind of, a, uh, kind of an overview. And then next week, in the, in the, the next week after that as we finish out, it's going to be a little more specific about how that plays out you know, in our lives. So let's f- 
follow along as I read uh, what God has for us this morning about this dead to self and living this new life. He says, therefore, if or since, uh, in the Greek that's a first class condition, meaning since, you have been raised up with Christ or given the spiritual life, keep seeking the things above. Now the things above, kind of explain what that is, it's the heavenly things, it's um, the things that matter to God, is how I'm putting it. Uh, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So it's his position of ultimate authority. Set your mind on the things above, these things that matter to God, not on things that are on the earth, the things that matter to people who are not followers of Christ. So you can think of what those things could be. Well, why should you and I do that? Well, because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, and in the Greek it's actually when Christ, who is life, he's put in there for a little easier reading, is revealed. In other words, when he shows himself to be who he is, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So we will be fully who we are supposed to be, who we are made to be. And so Paul talks about this death of ourselves in a couple different ways. Well, what he's basically saying is this, we've died to our way of living. That's basically what he's saying. We talk about that a lot here uh, at Grace Point. If you've been here for any length of time, it's not doing life our way, but doing life God's way. And, and I kind of say, man, I just feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over, and people remind me, well, if you read the Bible at all, that's what the Bible is basically saying. So um, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm biblical. But here's the big question. <clears throat> Again, if you're a follower of Christ, if you say you've professed faith in Christ, are you living life God's way? Have you died to the way you think you should live life? Yeah, that's a question that each of us as believers need to ask and evaluate and ask God to give us clearly, clarity on. But he says we've been uh, raised up with Christ. <clears throat> so this is work of God in our lives that when we, when we came to Christ, we say, please forgive me of my sins, and I, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. You took my eternal judgment on yourself. When, I said, when we said, yes, I believe that, and asked God to forgive, you, forgive us of our sins, there was a spiritual work that God did in us. This is why we can't work for our salvation, because God has to do this. And so he comes into our lives, and he gives our old self spiritual life. We become new. We become new in Christ, new spiritual life. And this makes sense, right? Because you have to die in order to be resurrected, right? You can't have resurrection if you're already alive. And so we die to ourselves. We've been, we die with Christ on the cross in that sense, in a spiritual sense, and then we live to new life. He says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life, my life, is hidden in or with Christ in God. In other words, you and I were dead and our life now is Christ. We live life Christ's way. Paul talks about this in Galatians 2.20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. That's how he puts it there. So it died to how I think, or you think you should live life, but we're physically alive. So how, how does that play out? And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. How does he do that? 
Well, in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, in Jesus Christ, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So when we live by faith, we talked about this last week, when we live by faith, we say, the way I think I'm supposed to do life, the way I want to do life, we say, not going to do it. I'm going to do it God's way. No matter what I think, no matter what I feel, no matter what the other person is or who they are and what they're doing to me, I'm going to do it God's way. Now, this is a crucial point. I'm going to make this point several times during the message. This is a lifelong process. If you're sitting here this morning going, oh, I can't do this, I can't do this, I keep messing up, I keep messing up, take a breath, okay? This is a lifelong process. When you place your faith in Christ, you didn't immediately become a perfect person. You won't get that until you get to heaven. This is a, a process, and it's a process that God wants to do in your life. In fact, last week we talked about this in Colossians 2. It says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Again, talking by faith. We place our faith in Christ for salvation. We place our, our faith in Christ for how we're supposed to live. Having been firmly rooted, so at salvation, God rooted us in Christ. It's like planting a plant and getting the nourishments out of the ground. We get our nourishment, our spiritual nourishment from Christ and his word. And now, as you live life, being built up, strengthened in him, and established in your faith, you gain greater confidence in God. What God wants to be doing in our lives is, as he shows us where we're not doing life his way, and we take a step of faith to do it his way, what he's, why he's doing that is so we get to know him better. So we have greater confidence in him that we see him to be who he says he is, the ultimate one worthy of our worship, of our obedience, of following him. And so the question is, do I trust that God's way is the best way? Do I believe it? Or are there other factors that say, well, no, I think I know better than God. The only way we know if it's going to be the best way is if we take a step of faith and do it his way. So since we've received a spiritual life from God, and now we're living for his purposes, we're told to keep seeking or set your minds on things above. Now, again, the things above, what's he talking about? If, we say, if I say, well, the heavenly things, a lot of us are going, I don't even, what is the heavenly things? Are you talking about the spiritual beings at the Revelation? What are you talking about? It's just basically what matters to God. And as you read scripture, you find out what matters to God. We just got done with two chapters in Colossians where we've been told what matters to God is that we know him personally. That we can have a personal, interactive relationship with God through faith in Christ and time spent in his word and that he is going to let us know him, which that word in the Greek means to know him completely and fully. And not just know him, but we can know his will. We can know how he wants us to live this life. And that's all part of getting to know him, is living life and doing life his way. He wants us to, to live in a way that represents him accurately. To not do life the way we think we should do it, and people get the wrong understanding of who God is. He wants us to draw people to Christ for salvation. That's just in the first two chapters of Colossians. We haven't even touched the other books of the Bible. 
the things that matter to God. Basically, what we're doing is this. When we get to heaven, we are going to be perfect. We're going to live perfectly. We are going to be like Jesus that way. We're not going to be Jesus. We're not going to be God. I've got to keep saying that because some people walk out here going, oh, you Christians think you're going to be God. No, we don't think we're going to be God. But we're going to be like Jesus in the sense that we're going to think like him and we're going to live like him. How does Jesus live today? How did Jesus live on earth? But how did he live in heaven today? Is Jesus involved in sexual sin? No. Is Jesus lying? Has Jesus ever lied? No. Has Jesus ever got sinfully angry? I got to say it that way because he did get angry, but he didn't sin in his anger. See, there's no disobedience in heaven. There's no sexual sin in heaven. There's no lying in heaven. There's no anger in heaven. And so all we're doing now is we're to live now like we will live in heaven. We're not perfect at it now. That's, God gets that. That's part of the plan. That's how we get to know him better. It's how we, it's really, another way of looking at it is, um, I've, I've been with Christians who have been laying on their deathbed. And there's always two kinds of Christians laying under deathbed. There's one who's like, I just cannot wait till I breathe my last. Wouldn't you love that when you get to that point in your life, or if you're sitting with a loved one, and they get to that point in life, and they're like, don't worry about me, I'm looking forward to breathing my last. Do you know the Christian who thinks that way? Is a Christian who has already died to themselves and has been living a life, working hard at doing it God's way, and they've seen God at work, and so they've, become, they've had a greater confidence in who God is. So they know when they die, they are going to breathe their lesson. They are going to heaven. The second Christian is the one who lays there and goes, I'm not really sure. Why? Because they haven't been doing this. And we need to live now understanding that we are dead. We are dead to ourselves. So he says, keep seeking. It's an act of the will. It's this this devoted effort. Make a devoted effort. Be serious about this. To do these things. Set your mind. So one is an act of the will. Set your mind has more of our desires. What, What drives you? What drives you in this life? There's a lot of things that could drive you. A lot of times it's, it's sexual immorality or it's money or it's prestige. It's what other people think. It's what other people want. We're, we're driven by a lot of things, but we're supposed to be driven by what matters to God. Not saying this is easy, but life is hard no matter which way you go. And these are both present active imperatives. In other words, the imperative is God commands it. The, the present is that no matter what the circumstance is, no matter what the situation is, that we choose to devote, that's the active part, that we choose to devote ourselves, that we make a decision based on what drives us is what matters to God, not what matters to us or somebody else for that matter. And so Paul ends this section with, 
this, this whole thing about when Christ reveals himself, we also will be revealed. And I'll, I just want to be honest with you, I don't really have my mind wrapped around what he really is saying here. Uh, I've read some commentaries on it, and so there's some debate as to what he says here, but I'm going to give you my best shot. This isn't a thus saith the Lord, but in verse 3, he says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so I think part of that is that as we live out this life, we're hidden in Christ, but that relationship is hidden in a sense because we're not perfect yet. We keep showing up. (laughs) Our flesh keeps coming up and wanting to take over, and so we're not perfectly set when it comes to that relationship. But then when Christ is revealed, when he shows himself to be who he is, which is going to be at the end of time, then we will be revealed with him. We will be complete. We will, we will see, and other people will see, what we were meant to be, and that is to be like Christ, perfectly, perfect physically and in our obedience. Well, then Paul goes on in the next few verses that we're going to read here. He says, therefore, so because we are to live like we're in heaven, because one day we're going to be in heaven, we then are to stop living sinful lifestyles. That's what he's going to be saying here. So we, this is our earthly struggle. There's, a, there's an American, um, uh, American Indian moralistic story. You might have heard of it. It's a, about a grandfather talking to his grandson, and the grandfather's saying, hey, we have uh, inside of us, there's a battle going on between evil and good, and there's, a, there's an evil wolf and a good wolf in all of us. And so we, that's a constant battle. And the grandson says, well, Dad, which one wins? And he says, the, the wolf that wins, the wolf that survives is the wolf that you feed. You do evil things, you feed the evil in you. You do good things, you feed the good in you. Now that's that Indian, the American Indian take on it. And, I, and I'm not sure if they got this concept from Paul because Paul is really saying that in his letters, and specifically here in Colossians. And so what we're going we're gonna to see here, Paul's talking about this battle within us, this spiritual battle that now we have because we have the spiritual life before we didn't have it, between our old uh, spiritually dead self and our new spiritually alive self. And what we're going to see here is the self that survives is the self that we feed. So see what he says here. It says, therefore, because you've died to your old self and live not for God, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. And that's actually one word in the Greek, meaning to cause something to die. So consider your members of your body as dead to immorality, to impurity, to uh, passion, which is actually sinful passions, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Now, why should believers um, feed or not feed these things? Why should we stop doing these things? For... It is because of these things, these sinful lifestyles, the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, those who are living these lifestyles. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. So that's, that's your old life. That's, that's the way you used to do life. But now, besides those sins, you also put them all, all kinds of sins. Now, the list that he's, he just got done with and the list that he's going to do right now, these are not exhaustive lists, all right? These are kind of the basic general lists of sin, or sins that people have in their lives. So, put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Why? Well, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new, this recent new life that you have, uh, this new self, which is being renewed, it's being remade by God 
to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So God's trying to remake us to look like Jesus. Again, what, did Jesus do any of these? No, and so we don't do them. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So in the end of all this, we're all going to look like Christ. So Paul says there's, that we are to consider our bodies dead and that we're supposed to put aside all of our sin. In other words, as we commit these sins less and less, as we starve them out, then we are going to find what God says that we are going to do the good stuff, which we'll talk about here in a second. So we're supposed to starve these things. Now, again, this is not something that happens overnight. This is a process that's going to happen through your life as you do the three things that we're talking about. As you make that determination, as you starve, and as you feed the new life. But here's the question. Before I get into to these verses, I want to take a kind of a sidetrack and, and answer the question, why is it so hard? Why is it, why is not doing life God's way, not doing life our way? Anyways, why is sinning so easy? Why is it hard to do life God's way? I'm reading a book uh, by Sinclair Ferguson, and uh, he wrote a book called Devoted to God, Blueprints for Sanctification. And uh, he, he, in one of his chapters, he goes to Hebrews chapter 12, and he says this, chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, talking in chapter 11 of all the men and women who have by faith done life God's way, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, so that means anything good or bad that keeps us from doing life God's way. Because there's going to be some good things that end up becoming bad because they're keeping us from doing life God's way. And the sin which so easily entangles or close, uh, clings closely or tightly to us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And it was this life that God has called us to do. So why is it so difficult? It's because sin is not an it. It's not something or not a thing, but it's I. Think about that for a while. That sin is not a thing. Sin is you and me. We are sinners at a core of who we are. Now, that's died, but we're still in the sinful flesh. A couple quotes from his book. He says, actually, I'm going to read it off here because my, my eyes are going to go buggy if I try to read off my notes. The sin which clings so closely would then be deep-dyed, indwelling sin, shaped to and by our own lives and context, becoming indistinguishable from our personalities, thus clinging so closely. In other words, our sin, it's not, it's not a thing. It's, it's personal. It's, it's who we are. The other quote is, indwelling corruption has the potential to express itself in any and every form of sin. Yet as Augustine argued, an old-time church father, sin is not an objective, quantifiable something which attaches itself to us. Rather, it is the distortion of our persons. Sin is not an I, or sin is not a thing, but, but I. It's a distortion of who I am, 
or better who I was meant to be. See, we were meant to be Adam and Eve in the perfect state, but they sinned, just like we would have done if we were in their position. And that sin has distorted who we are. We're not meant to be this. We're meant to be true images of God. We're meant to be like Jesus in that sense, to be perfectly obedient, to to glorify God, to reveal who God is in and who we are. So in a spiritual sense, then, we are to literally put ourselves to death. I don't mean physically, right? This is a spiritual thing that happens, that we need to make this decision, and we're going to put ourselves to death. Consider as dead means to cause to cease completely, or to put to death, or to deprive sin of its power. It's an aorist active imperative. And if you're not into these things, I'm sorry, but it just, to me, just grabs hold of what we're talking about here. So God commands us to make a definite choice of our will to put our old self to death by depriving it, by starving it. In other words, by not doing it. Because the more we do it, the more it grabs hold of us. The less we do it, the less it'll grab hold of us. A lifelong process. So Paul starts out with these private sins, this this inner sin that others may not even be aware of. Now, I don't have to go into detail with this, right? And and so I didn't. (laughs) So immorality through evil desires. If you read it, there's a bunch of other things in between there. So what Paul is saying, that if you have placed your faith in Christ, if you have this new life in you, that you will not participate in any sexual activity that's outside the framework of marriage. One man, one woman, legally married. I'm not saying that. God is saying it. It could be fantasy, fantasizing. It could be pornography. It could be sleeping with someone of the opposite sex outside of marriage. It could be sleeping with someone of the same sex outside of marriage. Whatever the sexual activity is that's not between a husband and a wife, because God's given the sexual experience as a gift to bring intimacy and to bring unity and to bring vulnerability to that couple. It's a God-given gift. To put it another way, Jesus, as we find out, is married to the church, right? We are the bride of Christ. How would any of us feel if Jesus says, you know what, I'm going to go start a whole new group of people to be my wife? I mean, that's, that's... But that's what we do to him. Then he adds greed in there. What's he doing? There's a debate. Is this just greed, greed? Or is this greed in dealing with sexual immorality? I'm of the persuasion. He talks about greed elsewhere. I think here he put it here because this is what happens in a person's life who makes sex their God. They make sex or the person who they're focused on in their sex, their God. 
Because greed is wanting more and more of something. It becomes an idol. And so it becomes what we think about. It's what we plan for. And when we hear God says, don't do it, we're like, nope, figure out how to get around that one. And it becomes a God. And then he gives us warning. And I don't think this is Paul saying, hey, listen, this is what's going to happen to other people. I think this is a warning to those who say they are followers of Jesus Christ. And he says, don't you get it? The wrath of God is coming on those who do these things. And this, again, this is this lifestyle of this. If we're working on it and we're, we're trying to starve it and you know, we, we mess up and we try to starve it and, and we're getting, of course, this idea of getting better and better at starving it. But this is the person who says, you know, I don't care. And I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Paul's warning us, there's a potential you're not in Christ. Because a person who is in Christ will do what God says for him to do. Why? Because they love God more than whatever else is out there. They worship God, which means giving God the worth that he deserves. So he says, so you need to put that to death. You need to starve it. And then you need to put aside these other things. Take off these other things. Putting aside has this idea of taking off dirty clothes. And so we, we put off, we take off the old self. And the old means that which has existed for a long time. And we, we've done wrong. We thought wrong for a long time. It's ingrained in who we are. It's an heiress imperative. It's a command that we make this conscious choice. No, I'm not, I'm not going to continue this way. I'm going to take this off. And so he lists anger to lying. This is any and all responses that we make, whether it's in our own heart or to other people, it's based off selfish thinking, irritable thinking, prideful thinking, unforgiving hearts, and so we put those things aside. Why? Because God is trying to renew us. He's trying to remake us by giving us the true knowledge of who Christ is and, and remaking us into his image. Again, Jesus doesn't do these things. And so we shouldn't be doing these things. He says there's no, going to be no distinction. When it's all said and done, there's not going to be any distinction. What's he mean by that? We all come from different backgrounds. We're all different. We all look different. But as we become more like Christ, we're going to look all together more like Christ. There's not going to be a distinction between us because we're all going to look like, we're going to think like Christ, we're going to respond like Christ. And so we starve out the old and now we feed the new. So this is how Paul puts it. So as those who have been chosen by God, chosen of God, holy, in other words, dedicated to Him, and beloved, loved by Him, Put on or take on the characteristics of Jesus. A heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. How much should we forgive? Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, this sacrificing self to meet the needs of others, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let or allow the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let or allow the word of Christ, which is the Bible to us today, richly dwell within you, which means you need to take it in first. It can't, it can't dwell richly if it's not there. With all wisdom, 
which is correctly applying God's word. So with all wisdom teaching, which is how to live, and admonishing, warning against wrong lives. I'm teaching this morning, and I'm warning this morning, or God's word is, one another, uh, wait, wait, one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That actually goes with the singing. So singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, anything connected to life, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, walk worthy, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So we walk worthy, which we saw in chapter 1. So real quickly here, there's three things that we need to be doing in our lives. There's a lot of stuff in those verses, but I'm going to bring it down to three things. The first one is we need to put on love, put on sacrificial love. We need to do what's best for other people, no matter what it might cost us. Even if it makes the other person upset, we need to do what's best for them. Sacrificial love. God commands us to make a conscious decision to love others. Him first, and others second. We know this matters to God, right? How do we know it matters to God? He himself, God the Son, became man and died on the cross for our sins. He did what was best for us and gave us spiritual life. But we also know that Jesus is, a, is compassionate. He's kind. He's humble. He's gentle. He's patient. He's gracious because he puts up with us even now. He forgives. All of that flows out of sacrificial love. That's why I'm combining it. All of it represents who Jesus is, but it starts with sacrificially loving others. And in that, then we become fully united in Christ, with Christ and together in Christ. We become more like Jesus. And the more we sacrifice for others, the more we feed that, and the more we do that, the more we starve selfishness. And it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Peace means to, to bind together what had been separated or divided. So we are called to, to peace as a body of Christ. Peace in our own hearts first by doing life God's way. So we have that peace with Christ, but then peace for others, with others, starting in our homes, branching out into our church family, and of course, outside of that to others. We have to let it rule the peace of Christ. We have to let it rule. We have to let it control us. Let it means we have to allow it. We have to step back. When we want to lash out at somebody, we need to go, Lord, help me respond like you would. The peace that pulls people together. It's a present imperative. We continually have to do this. It becomes a lifestyle of doing this. It doesn't matter the situation, doesn't matter the person, doesn't matter what they've done or what they've said. The more we respond to tense situations with Christ's peace, the more we feed Christ's peace into the situation, into the relationship, into the church family, and the more we starve selfishness. And then the last thing we need to we need to feed ourselves through letting the word of Christ which it richly dwell within us. This is where it starts. Okay? I know Paul put it at the end, but this 
is where it starts. Once you've placed your faith in Christ, this is where it starts. Everything flows. We've been rooted in Christ. We've been planted in Jesus. He is the nutrients. And God's word, Christ's word, the Bible, is where we get, get that nutrient. And so we got to be in it. And so then we have to allow God's word. We have to let God's word rule or richly dwell. That means to, to dwell means to keep house or to take up residence. It has the idea of uh, we know our houses well, right? And we kind of know where everything is at in our house. Me, not so much with the kitchen, but that's fine. As long as Kim knows where it's at, that's fine with me. But we kind of know where everything is at. And so God's word is to permeate our lives, every area of our lives, the way we think, our attitudes, our actions, that, that brings in this whole idea of richly. And then in that, this, it dwells richly as we allow it to teach us. As we're reading it for ourselves and as we're hearing it taught on Sundays or Thursdays, or maybe you're listening to something on on the radio or podcast, as we allow it to teach us, it's growing in us richly. As we allow it to admonish us, to warn us, as we're reading Scripture and we're finding out, oh man, I might be doing this wrong. Or you hear me bringing God's Word, you're like, oh man. Or if you're hearing it somewhere else, and then in singing, those three ways, it just, it just sits in us. The songs that we have in our hearts. Someone, I was talking to somebody earlier, and I said, yeah, Tim McGraw's song. Tim McGraw's song. And I said, but I, 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 I knew it well, and I used to listen to country music all the time. And I just made a personal decision for myself that I'm only going to listen to Christian music. I'm going to only listen to life-giving music. Now, not all Christian music is biblical, so you've you got to kind of pick and choose. Most of it is, but there's some that's not. And so we can sing in hall, on psalms, these songs of praise. We can sing in hymns, which is not hymns that we think of today because they didn't have those back then. These are songs of, with religious content that have doctrine and theology in them. We have spiritual songs, which is kind of how God is working in our lives and how we work um, how he works through us to others. And of course, it always comes with thankfulness. Paul always talks about thankfulness. So we have it dwell richly in us, to abundance, to permeate. And the more we have God's word in our hearts, the more we have God's word in our minds, the more we're going to have the motivation and the desire to feed the new life that's in us. And the more we're going to want to starve the old. It starts with God's Word. It is living and active. It gives us life because it's the words of Christ. Paul finishes out and says, hey, whatever you do, word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some ways to just kind of maybe bring this home to us and work through this week. First of all, Remember, this is a process of spiritual growth. Please don't leave here depressed. Don't leave here going, oh, stupid, stupid me, stupid me. I don't want to hear anybody gone home and put their fist through the drywall. This is a process. It's okay. God wants us to go through the process. 
because he wants us to know how awesome he is by him stepping in. We talked about this before, right? Energizing our energy. That he's the one who gives us the strength to do it. And we take that step of faith and do it. We, we start growing. And so it's good. Don't just... Secondly, start with increasing your daily intake of God's word. Whatever amount of God's word you take in daily, do more. Eat better. Eat good. Take in God's word. Because that's where it changes. Remember we talked about all this, that God, Philippians, that God is the one who's working in us. And so as we take God's word in, then he begins even changing our own desires. Changing the way we think. Remodeling, right? Renewing. It's awesome. Start there. And then begin to find ways to starve the old self and to feed a new self. And I should have said this at 9 o'clock, and I didn't. I am always available to help kind of walk through some specific things you can do to help in that process. And I'm always available. So feel free to get a, get a hold of me and sit down and we can talk about it. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll close in prayer.